Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Priests of Dispatches podcast. Priests of Dispatches here. This episode is episode 9 of the After Dinner Chat series and I guess this evening is Clayne Edward Wayman of the FLDS branch called The Work of Christ. Clayne is no longer a member of the FLDS but has some awesome insight into uh, what goes on there and yeah this episode was a fun one to record and uh, definitely someone I'll be keeping in touch with. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And without messing around too much, let's get to the episode. And welcome back to the Priest of Dispatches channel. Um, this evening, we're joined by Clayn Edward Wayman, all the way from the United States. Before we get to Clayn's story, uh, you could support the channel by liking, subscribing, and hitting the little bell button so you never miss one of these interesting after-dinner chats. In other news, down in the description below, you can find a link to uh, the tips page if you are feeling so inclined. There's also Priest of Dispatches merchandise, and you can also find a great link to Claim's website, um, Vesper Life, where you can read more about him and about, uh, I guess, his great outlook on life and more about what we're going to find out. Uh, so, Claim, hello. Hello, PDs. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. No, awesome. Um, so many people will have read the description already. Uh, and Clayne, you come from a very kind of, when I say secretive part of Mormonism, Mormonism <laughs> is just really secretive anyway. Um, they yeah. say it's sacred, but it's it's really secret. And they pride yeah. themselves on their, their secret uh, meetings. But Oh, you are so correct. <laughs> you you grew up as number four of forty-five siblings. Yeah, um, which is unreal, um, because you grew up in a branch of the FLDS Church called the Work yeah. of Christ. Um, yeah, Work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and your mom was um, the first wife of your father. Yeah, um, and. Uh, how how many wives in total um, did, I guess, your dad have? Uh, he had, growing up, I had four, and he just barely married his fifth. Wow. And I haven't you... met her yet. <laughs> <laughs> Is she young? Uh, no, he, he actually married a gal that was from the mainstream of FLDS, who was already, uh, she left that branch, and... Uh, she already had 14 kids, and I, I heard that she's 52. So it's pretty rare to marry a woman in that age range. Usually they're, you know, 18 or early 20s. Oh, my gosh. So she already had 14 kids. Do you yeah. count them now as siblings? So you've gone from 45 to, like, 59? Yeah, technically. Technically. I guess that marriage just happened about a month ago, and I've never met her or anything. Wow. So. I wasn't invited so, to any of the stuff, so. Yeah, that's sorry about that. Um, oh, and actually, so it's a you, celebration. I, I, I probably, I like to be invited, but I don't like to go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like every every family event I've ever been to. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
Awesome. So yeah. you you were saying that, that she's from the main branch of FLDS and yeah. yeah. So what's what's the difference? Like how does it break down? Are there sects within the FLDS? Well, they consider themselves independent of FLDS. So are you okay if I go back and give a tiny bit of history on where the breakoff go comes from and all that? Okay, I'm happy to. All right. So the breakoff, the breakoff comes from uh, there was a guy in the 1920s by the name of uh, John Woolley and Lauren Woolley, and they were the lead. They were the they were the ones who led the FLDS movement, the fundamentalist movement. Well, according to their narrative, in 1886, John Taylor, who was the president of the mainstream LDS at the time, uh, according to the 1886 revelation that the foundation of FLDS is based on. Uh, it says that you know there's the, during this time there's all this upheaval about hey the the, the government's going to come in and seize church property if they don't abolish polygamy yeah and so there was this manifesto that was presented to John Taylor and John Taylor says according to this story uh, I'll take it up to the Lord well uh, at the time John Woolley was the bodyguard and according to his story he says that night about 9 30 there was this huge beam of light just beaming under the door and he heard the and, and he he was supposed to make sure nobody was uh would enter the room john taylor was on the hunt by this time by government authorities for practicing polygamy and so he was the he, he john taylor regularly had bodyguards john woolley at the time was one of them watching watching out for him and apparently, yeah. according to the story, he had some kind of visitation with the the already dead Joseph Smith and uh, Jesus Christ, according to the Woolly story. And when he came out of the room, uh, there commenced uh, an eight-hour meeting where he gathered. I think it was, only, it was only a handful of people. I think it was. I don't have the exact count. I think it was like twenty or so. And there was like this eight-hour meeting that took place and there were, and during this time, this is you, you talk about secrets. This is such a perfect segue. Uh, there's the, this is where the, the 1886 revelation, you could search it online. It's basically a revelation that, uh, claims that John Taylor wrote and wrote and, or, or they found, they found a copy of the, the this revelation in his desk after he died, but it was never signed. And it was never presented to the main body of the church. So the whole story of the 1886 is the mainstream of the church was in apostasy because they're trying to give up one of the crowning principles, plural yeah. and celestial marriage. Uh, and so there was this secret underground movement that we know today as the as, as the fundamentalist movement. And so the 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 FLDS are the ones who uh, broke off in from the mainstream and it, it it was stayed underground until about the 1920s uh so a lot of these people would be fld part, part of the movement but then during the day they would pretend to be part of the mainstream church yeah uh yeah so all of flds trace their roots back to this 1886 revelation thing uh and so what what's happened is so that so there was this group of people who, with the fundamentalist movement uh that formed and in 1983, the version of that I was raised with broke off from that mother body or father body, whatever you want to call it, of, of FLDS and formed their own version of what they think that the fullness of the gospel is. Okay. 
And so that version is, is known today as the work of Jesus Christ, or they call it the work for short. So did you yeah. have, um, I guess, prophets, seers, and revelators at the head of the Well, they were, yes, they had, they had the prophets, but the prophets were, they don't call them prophets. They call them presidents of priesthood or apostles. And there's the head guy, and he's considered the president of priesthood. Uh, and, he, you know, but they, like I said, they don't use the word prophet. What I love is that, and I'll be corrected in the uh, comments if I'm wrong, but if that's the 1886 revelation, as you said, where um, they met mm -hmm. with the dead Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ, then that yeah. is the, almost the most recent uh, visitation more mm -hmm. recent than anything in the mainstream Mormon church has had, um, yeah. kind of, yeah, by decades, you know, uh, since mm -hmm. Joseph Smith uh, and, and Oliver Cowdery meeting with uh, resurrected beings in yeah. the Narvi temple, uh, yeah, but yeah, so Doug's asked a question, Clay. Yes. Was the Adam God doctrine taught in the FLDS? Absolutely. It was a cornerstone teaching. 100%. Okay. Oh, yeah. Adam is our God and our Father. Uh, and according to that narrative, and I'm, do you want me to go into it? I could go into yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's, let's do it. You know what? Okay, that's in, a fun one. <laughs> in our side of things, whenever you mention Adam God, people have been excommunicated for teaching Adam God. And... That's unbelievable. So our, I don't know if your audience is familiar with the Journals of Discourses. Uh, the Journals yeah. of Discourse, yeah, yeah. The Journals of Discourses are one of the forbidden books by the mainstream of the LDS Church. But that, those were cornerstone books for the all the fundamentalists. Now, there's, there's also other groups of fundamentalists or FLDS that have already broken us. I've heard that there's like 19 subsects of Mormonism. Um, I only know of a handful, but the Adam God doctrine is a corner was was a cornerstone piece to what I was taught. I was taught that uh, God, our our God, I guess who we report to, so to speak, was already exalted. He'd earned his salvation, and he fell so that man might be. And so, and uh, I was told that the word Eve, you know, like Eve in the Garden of Eden, meant many, and Eve was a word of the Adamic language. Uh, and the, the word Eve in the Adamic language implied many. And so it wasn't just our God and one lady. It was a God and a few of his wives. That's wow. the narrative that I was, that's the narrative I was given. That's a new one on me. The, the Eve me, meaning many thing I've, I've heard yeah. the, um, I guess outside Mormonism, there's the stories of Lilith, uh, being. Adam's yeah. I didn't hear wife. about Lilith until late. Yeah. I never was ever taught anything about Lilith until <laughs> my research outside of Mormonism. Then I discovered Lilith, which is a fascinating yeah. uh, story. <laughs> so so. You're, you've, you're part of this massive family and yep. living in Colorado City. So the, the main headquarters is five miles south of Colorado City in a little town called Centennial Park. And I was raised in the Salt Lake Valley area, even though the, the main headquarters was there in Arizona. So I was raised in Utah. Okay. So Utah and Arizona are neighboring states. Yeah. 
yeah so yeah. with so something that i've seen a lot of recently and watched a lot of are some of these i guess documentaries where they speak about escaping polygamy and yeah. they show girls that are previous flds or um, another polygamous branch of the church going in to i guess free other young ladies or, or or whatever and then rushing around because the bishops come in or there's guys coming with guns and and different things like that to stop them would that be mm -hmm. is that is that just over dramatization i'm not familiar with the guns part uh I, I will tell you there there was a little bit of a conversation it's part of those hush hush secret conversations about blood atonement type of things which i could that's a whole nother area I could get into but if somebody wants to leave at least the work that i was raised in pretty much anybody can can leave and i've never i've never heard of people at gunpoint although there could be isolated cases it wouldn't be at the church level i'm not familiar with that uh okay I, I think their their teachings are so I mean they they indoctrinate them from the moment they're born all the way to through adulthood that yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah it, it's hard hard for anyone to get out. Um, Laura's asking in the comments if you have a sense of how many independent Mormon fundamentalists there are outside of the U.S. You know what I'm really not privy to that although I I. I am familiar with uh, a small group in Canada, uh, you know, Winston, you can look him up. He got prosecuted in Canada a few years, yeah. a few years ago for living, for living polygamy. Uh, he was part of the FLDS branch and he went over there. There's also been some in Mexico. Yeah. So there is some in Mexico I'm familiar with as well. So Mexico, Canada, other than that, outside of the U S I'm not, I'm not really familiar. If I were to put a number on it, um, I would I would say maybe a few thousand. Yeah, I I um, yeah. I guess I'd heard that the Canada and Mexico um, kind of connection was yes more of a connection to get around U.S. law. Yeah, exactly. Going to Canada to get married or going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there's so, still people that live out there. They're living polygamy. Yeah. Polygamy. yeah. So you grew up, um, did, was it a situation where you each had, or each mother had a house with her children and dad just went from house to house or. So I've heard, I heard of stories that way that, that, that was the case, but my story was not that. Uh, and I would probably say it's probably because of finances. So all of us were lived in one house, all the wives, all the kids. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> that was been a massive. I, I, it wasn't. It wasn't. No. It was no. It was so. Uh, it was. It was only like a five bedroom, three bathroom house. Wow. So yeah, what was... and then when, and then when I turned right when I turned eighteen, my dad. So my dad started an addition when I was sixteen, and the ha the addition was finished right around. Well, I guess, it, yeah, he, the, the addition was finished right around when I was 17, 18 years old, something like that. And uh, that more that addition more than doubled the house. 
and I moved, I moved away. I got married at 21 and I moved away when I was 22. I'm 38 now. Uh, and so I would say I was raised with about in the neighborhood of 32 to 35 of my siblings. In a five bedroom house. In a five bedroom house. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. So, so bunk beds, bunk, bunk beds were top currency. <laughs> and did you have to, did you have your own bed or more than one person yeah. to a bed? Yeah, we all had our own little bunk bed space. Okay. So lucky, lucky for me, yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like for example, my little bed space was. We you have the front living room, and the front living room one half of it was boarded off so that like uh, six or eight of us could be inside this one half of the living room with their with the bunk beds. And then it'd be pretty common to have kids that'd be sleeping on the floor, in the living room, or in in the bedrooms if there wasn't enough beds i can imagine that with that many kind of kids there you have some siblings that you're actually close with in kind of a sibling relationship and then mm -hmm. possibly others um who were almost like classmates maybe mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. were, were you were you able to because you won't see everyone every day I'm assuming if you're all when I, when I got older, that's when I got older, uh, that, that, that would probably be a correct statement, but grow, growing up, we saw every day, everybody at the breakfast table and we saw everybody for the most part at the lunch table and also for dinner. Wow. That's amazing <laughs> yeah. because I, I struggled to get my two kids to come to the table for dinner. Uh, well, you got to try the the Board of Education, which is this big old wrought iron stick or uh, <laughs> a branch off a tree, uh, my dad's belt. Uh, <laughs> so you know what, with the, with, with the that's how age claim. And I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm saying to my kids, you know what, when I was young, like, <laughs> my, oh, I know. my dad had hit me, exactly. my, dad, my dad had take his slipper out or whatever. And they're like, why? Why would he do that? Cause yep. yeah, it's the way it was. Yep. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. We're getting smacked around was just a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's how we all got to the table. You either come or get beat. Okay. The choice is yours. <laughs> Fair enough. It, it seems like a good way to go. No, it doesn't. I'm not in any way condoning child abuse. Please let's rewind. It seems awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you there was four of the what oh three other wives in the home aside from your mother what how did you address them we addressed them by calling them mother and their first name so if their first name was valate for example we call them mother valate or if their name was anna we call them mother anna and then i'd often call my mother mother we didn't call them mom mom was considered uh, a word of the gentiles and so we had to Call, address the mother and we called father father as 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 respect as well in my family there were it was forbidden to call him dad that was also a another gentile word okay so did everyone call him father yes everyone in the house called him father okay and was there we've seen the flds uh women in their prairie style dresses was that a dress yeah. code that was with yourselves as well 
to a certain extent, yes. Uh, it wasn't as strict as Warren Jeff's version where he had to have certain colors and certain styles. They, we were, they were allowed to. The, the point of it was is the garments went all the way to the, the wrist right here and then all the way down to the ankles. And so the, you had to wear something long enough for the, both the men and the women to cover the garments. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll get onto that in a little while. Uh, we'll rewind a little bit. So yeah. growing up in that house, uh, you went to school or was it a kind of a compound Homes, situation? Compound situation, you could call it. I, I was homeschooled. My dad built a schoolhouse that was just right next to the house on the property. I was raised on a small family farm and right next, we had a little schoolhouse and we did school right there. Wow. And did you do all the grades? Was it a normal kind of process? It, I, I wouldn't, um, they tried to be normal, but there, it wasn't normal. For me, I was pulled out of school at 13 to go work full time. And, and in addition, take care of the farm. And also then I, during the summer, especially cause I, I was pulled out of school to go do flat work concrete with an uncle. And I, obviously I got behind on my school, but eventually, um, so what would happen is the kids, they would teach to about eighth grade and then the kids would, the kids would get their GED. They do their own GED. What, but for me, um, I wanted a high school diploma. And so one of my plumber friends introduced me to this correspondence class or school from Pennsylvania. And, uh, I found, I, I found a way to pay for that. I, I would sell, I'd sell things on the side, like fruits canned fruit out of our cellar or whatnot to pay for the tuition for <laughs> to pay for my to pay for my high school wow and, I, uh, and so i did i graduated on time doing it that way that's amazing because i think i struggled just doing school anyway without having to pay for tuition or find extra a, a separate school i'm assuming that was quite um under the table maybe deal don't let yeah dad see stealing the, the oh yeah totally totally because all the money that we made working for my uncle all that money went to went to my father okay so how many yeah, how so. many times a week would you go to church uh so the main headquarters in centennial park is weekly but where i was in salt lake city they only met monthly they did priesthood meeting on a saturday night and then did sunday they did once then they did that they did the general meeting for everybody and it was usually done at my grandfather's house he's also one of the apostles he's got 12 living wives today he's 95 he'll be 96 here in the end of december wow. uh, yeah yeah and so during those weeks that we didn't have church would, would my father would hold a sunday school or sometimes my grandfather would hold family Sunday schools that we'd go to his house for Sunday schools. So there was something, even though we didn't do official church every Sunday, there's usually some kind of at church activity on Sunday, whether it was a family Sunday school or one of my mothers would read to us or my dad would read to us uh, some kind of sermon or we went to church. Okay. So I've never in the mainstream Mormon church as such, uh, you go through to, as a young man, to receive the Aaronic Priesthood at age 12 and become a mm -hmm. deacon, then a teacher at 14 and a priest at 16. Is that the same? Or what's the, I guess, the priesthood progression? 
Yeah. So in my, it was a little bit family, some families, they, they could do things a little different. There wasn't like a golden standard. They usually would have their, a priesthood holder. So there, so there's a pecking order of priesthood, right? And so here, so I think to bring context, to this, I should bring you, show you the pecking, my pecking order, if you will. So okay. in my family, my, my peck, the pecking order is important <laughs> to, to who gets to be ordained and stuff. Uh, so my pecking order was my dad, my, and then my dad was connected to his father, uh, which was one, happened to be one of the apostles. And then he was in connection with the head apostle who was supposedly in connection with the apostles who had died, who were all the way connected to Jesus Christ type of thing, Joseph yeah. Smith, Jesus Christ. And so my grandfather was like the patriarch of my family. And so he would make a recommendation when it was time to be ordained. Okay. And so it would it was pretty common that he would wait till you were older, like 14 instead. So he had, it was quite often that he would skip deacon and all the way go to priests. And so at 14, I was ordained priest. And then when I turned 18, I was ordained an elder, became part of the, the elder quorum. Okay. And that's, did they still have the distinction between the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. And so the next thing I guess I want to get onto is what do weddings look like? Um, uh -huh. Again, comparing in the United States, the mainstream LDS church, they attend these big, obviously expensive temples with their temple recommends. Mm -hmm. and they're sealed in celestial marriage there or a version of celestial marriage as they currently have mm -hmm. it yeah. but for yourselves what's the process when if you're say your dad took a, as you said another wife not so long ago mm -hmm. what would the process yep. be for that that wedding so behind the scenes before my dad knows anything about it uh the the priesthood council which is the apostles the head of the the church uh, they would be in collaboration with each other and there, and there would be, and then there would be one of those, there's, there was six of them. They've actually called other guys from what I've, what I've heard, but they would talk to the girl. And so the priesthood council would talk directly with the girl and work out who they're going to marry. Um, and then once they have come to an agreement that it's going to be like, let's say my dad, for example, then they would call my dad and say, Hey, we have a girl that we ha have for you. And this is her name. We recommend you, you get in touch with her. And let's. And so he would he often get in touch with her. Uh, the marriage that I'm in right now, I was arranged. I can tell you my firsthand experience of my own marriage. I've been married twice from the church. Um, but uh, then the church would contact the guy. Who's in this case, you're talking about my father. They'd contact my father, and then he would get together with her, and you know, make just make sure they click and. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't any, it's usually not some kind of big courtship. It's just, it's more like, Hey, the priest had said we should get together. So, uh, let's, let's get together and, wow. uh, let's, let's do this. So if your dad chose not to say he didn't, I guess, click, as you said, would he be looked down on by the, the priesthood? Yeah, absolutely. Because when the priests give you uh, have a wife or you or give you an inspire, they have an inspiration. You should marry somebody. When you say no to them, especially something like marriage, you're in. The, we were taught that you're effectively saying no to God. Yeah, that's. 
Uh, for for us, I say for the ministry, it was more a case of you could never say no to a calling because you're yeah. saying no to God. But it kind of ups yeah. the ante a bit when there's a wife and 14 children coming along with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so I was just going to say, so it's basically it's an arranged marriage. By the 100% arranged. Yeah, yeah, but it's an arranged marriage. And if if you want to move on, we can find some more pumpkin pie. But how does it <laughs> how does it go if you're not kind of sexually compatible with that person? If you're really not attracted to them, um, and the priesthood have kind of given them forced you on each other. Like I'm not saying mm -hmm. it must be awful for the sister as well. Um, yeah, but. Where, where do you go with that? Is it a begrudging kind of, I don't it's, know. It, it's not relevant. They, they teach it like it's not even important. It's like if you follow what God wants, guides you to do, you'll find that attraction. Because that's a big part of a marriage, you know. Uh -huh. we, we, oh, we, yeah. We're teaching, teaching the church. The whole point in marriage is to, you know, have children and, and to grow a, a seed a righteous seed unto god and, and mm -hmm. different things but you know not everyone's compatible in in that um yeah someone uh in the sarah asking what age sarah. are people when they enter an arranged marriage all right so the answer to that sarah is two answers one is what they do currently and the second answer is what they did previously. <laughs> okay. So, so, uh, so Warren Jeffs right now, the leader of FLBS, he's behind bars right now. He for he's going to yeah. be in prison for the rest of his life for, uh, you know, for for the for underage, you know, having sex with underage girls as early as twelve years old. Uh, so there's Warren Jeffs. So. The, the work the work for the most part likes to make sure the girls are eight 18 years old the, the oh work gosh, when I'm to the work, then. no 18 18 okay. however however there have been many incidences where the girls are much younger than that um, the youngest one that I'm that I have firsthand knowledge of was 15 and uh, yeah that, that I know of I know of one at 15 I know of another in six I know a couple at 16. And uh, seventeen, as as well. Uh, does that does that become a proper like husband wife sexual relationship, or is it more? Well, you, well, in your wedding vow, you say you're gonna you're going to multiply and replenish the earth, which implies we're gonna go make some babies. Okay. Which is illegal in the United States because under the age of eighteen, yeah, they're yeah. minors. Yes, there, there, there is a few things. If they're six, if they're sixteen, and the the man is uh, within ten years of that age, so he's twenty six or less, let's say, then uh, the parents of the legal guardians of the girl of the underage can consent to it. So it'd have to be a legal wedding. Okay. Um, but if but if a twenty five year old or twenty four year old is having sex with a sixteen year old outside of marriage, then yeah, they could have some serious problems on their hands. And what I have to make clear is when it when it comes to Mormon polygamy, 
is there's usually only one wife that's the legal wife. And so if your plural wife is, is 16 years old, you could have a legal problem on your hand. And, and Warren Jeffs did and so, uh, many others as well. And so as Warren Jeffs in the early 2000s started getting in the news quite a bit, uh, a lot, these other FLDS breakoffs really took notice and they just, all, the, including the version I was raising, they just flat out, we're not, we're not going to prison over this thing. So we're, we're going to stick to 18 years old. And so right now it's pretty hard and fast rule uh, for uh, that, uh, that they should be 18. However, my first wife, I was 21 and uh, she was 17. And uh, what happened there was the, the she, and I had not been married before. And so what happened there was the church leaders before they would do their version of the marriage uh, they they said you two need to go get your legal marriage done and so her mother went to uh, the county uh, the, the county and got the documents and uh, there was a legal marriage in place before they had any part into it and so they they like to track you know make sure that they're but, th but that was the first wife and that's the luxury of being a first wife is you can you have that you can have that legal protection okay and did you know her before you were married yeah yes so my first marriage i was a little bit of a her and i were somewhat we'll call it rebels if you will and that is that we met each other before i was 20 she was 16 and marriage was taught you have to keep in mind marriage was taught as early as you can hear teaching and uh, we thought we liked we thought we liked each other and so we kind of had a, a year and a half of uh, a long distance relationship she lived in 300 miles away but we talked on the phone on a regular basis, which was highly against the rules. And, uh, but, but we never, but we never had in, anything intimacy until after the priesthood marriage was done, which, which the legal one had to be done. Then the priesthood marriage. So yeah. What was the, was there a time gap in between the legal and the priesthood? Yeah. Three weeks. And you didn't live together for those three weeks. Yeah, so the dates was December 17th was the legal one, and then we were married by the priesthood on January 9th. Okay. So however long that period is. Yeah, over here in the UK, we have to do a similar thing for different reasons, um, but yeah. it's usually a few a few hours, and there's usually a, a bit of a running joke that you don't let the bride and groom drive alone to the temple together because they might stop <laughs> off stop off and uh, do some do something bad before they have their priesthood wedding uh, right yep three weeks yeah. is pretty intense oh yeah so but she lived 300 miles away so she would just go home with her parents so the temptation was really not there but there was a moment after the legal wedding that we were able to go spend some alone time together and when i was leaving my dad said to me now remember clean you're not married and <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah That's and cool. even though That's we were crazy leaving. yeah and uh so we you know and and i was a good old boy and so we told the line until that priesthood wedding yeah great yeah. i mean it's you you said that you had uh two wives not at the same time yeah never never lived polygamy but yeah i've been married twice okay awesome so just rewinding slightly before uh, I guess you got to the point of marriage you left school at 13 and went to work concrete 
with your uncle um, yeah and how many i guess how many hours a day would you work what happened to the money what was life mm -hmm. like between yeah. starting work and then getting married yeah absolutely so uh we usually started really early especially in the summer months as far as starting our day sometimes five in the morning six in the morning it was pretty common in this in the heat of the summer uh we'd be we'd be showing up on the job site at five five thirty uh, we'd, he would like, he would show up and pick us up at like four 30 in the morning so we could be on the job at five, uh, and, you know, and five 30, that was really, really common. And, uh, we, during the summer months was the hours we worked the most. And there were times we didn't get home till like eight o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, sometimes 10, depending on how, how busy we had to take care of things that day. And, uh, and then we had to get up and do that whole cycle again. Uh, lucky for us, during the summer, during the winter months when it would snow uh, or rain, we we usually got a break during those times, and so okay. uh, we'd have day we'd have days off. If it wasn't snowing, even though it was winter here, uh, he would still get one of those heaters and heat the concrete area. That, I guess those blow torches, uh, blow torch the area so the the ground would be warm, and we'd still do concrete in the winter time. But it wasn't as well. well. No, not all the money. No, none of the money w went to us. It went to my dad. Yeah, we didn't get wow. to keep any of our money. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you do with regards to tithing? So, when tithing came around, my dad would just hand right before. So, we'd turn our tithing in at priesthood meeting, and so my dad would just hand us an envelope of whatever amount of money he put in the envelope. And it was cash, and then he'd be like, "Okay, this is your tithing for the month." And would you be? Yeah. I guess would you would your tithing record uh, stack up against the kind of, I say, caliber um, against the wife or wives that you were rewarded with later? Well, that's that's a topic that is unspoken. Um, they don't cert they certainly don't talk about that. But the, I would say that men with it seems that men with money tend to get multiple wives. Uh, not it's not it's not always the case. Funny uh, that, isn't it? Isn't it is isn't that funny? Yeah. You know, the they, higher the priest did you get? Yeah, ex exactly. I will tell you this that the, this has been openly discussed by the president of the work, and one of the things he says he says that. When I get inspired about a man getting married, you know what I look at? I go look at his tithing record. Hmm. And he goes, he says, and quite often, uh, it my inspiration lines up with that record, and that record just shows that uh, he really is a faithful, a faithful uh, saint, so wow. or a faithful member. Yeah. That's, that's, so yeah, that's one way to tout for money, isn't it? Without actually touting for money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like. Oh yeah, he openly says that he looks at the tithing record of the, of the man. He says, "If you want a new wife, guess where I'm looking? I'm looking at your tithing record." Well, whoever pops to the top of the spreadsheet gets to go first. <laughs> I guess so. So mm -hmm. you, we, we, you left church. You left school at thirteen. Went to work. But what happens to your sisters who were at school with you? Do they stay on at school past thirteen? Or... Yeah, 
they yeah they they stay home they stayed home they took care of the house um they they got to do school at, at the house to a to a point um i was the first one in my household to get a high school diploma in fact i was the first one of my grandfather's posterity my, and that's a big statement because his posterity is about a thousand right now I was the first grandson uh, to get a high school diploma. His kids did. My father got a high school diploma. They went to public school, but I guess the world had gotten more wickets when, by the time I was born. And so even though they went to public school, got a high school diploma, we weren't allowed to because the world by then has gotten so wicked. Uh, so I was the first one of the grandkids of my grandfather's posterity to get that high school diploma. And because of that, the ripple effect is many of my brothers and sisters did the same program and got their high school education and, and it rippled out into cousins and also many other fundamentalist communities that followed kind of the same pattern. They went and did it too. And so in a Amazing. sense, I guess I was a spark by just doing, I wasn't trying to be a spark. I was just trying to get my education. Um, hey, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways. 